Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries, here to tell you how they built their brands. And also a big thanks to this week's show sponsor, iTrolley.ie, who have come on board to sponsor this episode. iTrolley is an online marketplace that offers thousands of products and a broad range of services. And they're down at Lyland, and you can find out more about them on iTrolley.ie. Welcome to episode 8 of the 24 Stories podcast. We had great feedback from the interview with Rob last week, and even still getting feedback from the interviews with Colette and Maeve over the last couple of weeks as well. At this time of the year, we're all in shopping mode. Um, I suppose coming up into Christmas, Black Friday, all of those things, we're thinking of the retail industry. So I thought it might be a great idea to get someone from that industry in to have a chat about how they've built their brand over the last number of years. So welcome, Audrey from Azure Jewelers. Hi, how are you? Nice to be here, Stephen. Thank you for asking me. You didn't have far to walk anyway. You're not too far from this studio. We're in South Mile. You're just over in George's Key. Yeah, just, yeah, three, four minutes over the bridge. So it was great. Um, nice stroll in this sunny afternoon in Cork. So, Audrey, if I take you way back, how does one get into jewellery? Is it in a hobby in school or, or how does that happen? I suppose I kind of fell into it, really. I, it was never in the plan, but <laughs> whatever is. Um, I started in Beamishire and Crawford when I was 21. That was my first job and I got a sales job in Cork. And there's kind of many opportunities presented yeah. itself when I was in Beamish's and they sent me over to Paris to work to try and grow the Beamish brand in Paris. As um, in the Stout? As in the Stout, yeah. So yeah. I was with Beamish's for eight years and um, okay. working out of the Quark office, uh, first female employed on the sales force, which Whoa. was interesting at 21 20 yeah. something plus years So had ago. you gone to college before that study in business or something? Or? No, so it's funny um, when I came out of, co- or when I came out of school I, um, I actually landed a job luckily enough with Guinnesses um, yeah. it was a 10 month contract doing promotions yeah. travelling all over Munster and I suppose I made a lot of contacts when I was doing that yeah. job and then there was an opportunity came up for a full time position in Beamish and Crawford in sales so I applied for it yeah. and um, thankfully I got it um, and I was with them then for nine years and it was a fabulous job, great experience and it obviously taught me a huge amount about everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I a lot of people skills there I'd imagine because it's, it's about making contacts with the bar owners and so yes. on. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, when I went in originally, I was kind of out of my depth. Um, you know, I, I, I was a relief rep first. They didn't mm-hmm. have an area for me, so I covered for the lads. And, you know, great characters working inside six fabulous men that I worked with. Um, so I could be sent anywhere and I was sent everywhere, you know, all around Cork, Barrack Street. And I mean, obviously, I was meeting all different types of people, yeah. all different ages. And I'll always remember I was about four months in the job and my boss, who's a gent, who was a gent, still is, um, said to me, you know, maybe you could spend a little bit more time in the pubs or having the chats or whatever. So I said, yeah, yeah, OK, OK. And I realized really quickly because, of course, I was kind of going in and out. And because, you know, there was men in their 50s and 60s yeah. and the bar was full that I had to learn pretty fast about the gad, the soccer, yes. read the death page yeah, and then, yeah. you know, find your commonality in your chats. And I suppose once I settled into it, I loved it. It was just such a fabulous job and it afforded me unbelievable opportunities. 
And when you went to Paris then, I'd imagine that was quite difficult to sell a cork stout in Paris. Um, yeah, well, the ale industry actually is really strong in Paris and it had been. And um, Guinness um, had a really good performing ale in Smithwick's, obviously. Yeah. And they kind of had most of the market in Paris at the time. So Beamish and Crawford had partnered with Cronenberg and they were really interested in growing the brand um, in France. So they asked myself and another guy, a Cork fella actually working out of Dublin, Rob Casey, to go over to Paris and try and grow the business over there. Yeah. So that's what we did. And we hit it with kind of Beamish Red was was where oh, yes. it was at. Yeah. And um, obviously the French are great at what they do, but a lot of Irish publicans, you know, need the same kind of nurturing they needed here. And that is really about relationship building. And while the French are great at a lot of things, the relationship side of of it from a publican perspective was mm. very, very different over there. So I suppose we brought the Irish mm. to France and grew the brand then based on that. Um, and sure, we hit a ball doing it. We were in our 20s. and Fantastic. It was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It was fab. Yeah. And while I was there then, um, I was living in an area and there was a jewellery shop around the corner for me. Okay. And um, I kind of struck up a relationship with the gentleman and his wife who owned the store. And I suppose it all kind of happened from there. It's just weird how things happen. But every time I used to come home wearing a piece of his jewellery, people were always admiring it, um, saying, will you get me one of those? And then he was saying, oh, you know, do you think my jewellery would do well in Ireland? And I was saying, well, based on what people have been saying to me, yes. Yeah. So I used to bring bits back and kind of flog it out of the boot yes. of the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you do. Um, as you do. There was no um, probably done deals or anything like that. No, there wasn't. Um, there were different times. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how it started. So when I started, I was importing. And was he making all his own He was making all his own at the time. Yeah, he had a pretty big manufacturing thing going on in Paris. He was dealing, he was selling to a lot of stores. Mm. Um, the product was affordable, but it was really eye-catching. Yeah. Um and I suppose I sold quite a lot of it. And then I kind of thought maybe there's an opportunity here in Cork for something a little bit different. I suppose Paris opened my eyes, really, because when you're walking around every day, mm. you're seeing different things mm. and different opportunities that really weren't here in Cork at the time. And I suppose it, it just progressed from that, really. And that's probably why when people, when you came back, people saw you with these different pieces of jewellery and said, oh, can I have a bit of that? There was... It, yeah. There was very few options, probably. I know we had our big, big jewellery stores here, but mm-hmm. no independent boutiques kind of selling no. that type of stuff, would there be? No, there kind of wasn't. I mean, you always have, you know, the fabulous jewellers and Keens, yeah. and but it, there was no one kind of really selling the kind of contemporary costumey type things with yeah. a bit of collar, just something a little bit different. And bridal obviously was another big area yeah. that there was a huge gap in here and um, very very few people facilitating the bridal market in relation to accessories you know yeah. hair accessories or maybe kind of different types of pearl jewelry with a bit of sparkle in it and of course everything being the same there was no one kind of making in-house so i saw that opportunity very very quickly so did you make a decision then to leave beamish Yeah. So I suppose, again, it was kind of just fell into place. The brewery were going through a restructuring Mm. and they were looking for people to take redundancy. Yeah. And so I took the redundancy and then obviously had a plan that I was going to open the shop at that point. So I... Like, what was the period in between? Was there... So I, I left the brewery at the start of March. 
after eight and a half years. I got married at the end of March and then I opened the shop in June. That was a busy couple of months. It was a busy few And did you get a honeymoon in. in the middle of that as well? I did get a honeymoon in, in between it, thankfully. When you opened the shop, like what was involved in that then? You, you obviously had to look for a place that would be I ideal. Did. did you position yourself near maybe... I suppose, fashion shops, you know, boutiques, that kind of thing. Or did you kind of go somewhere different? I suppose I'd watch what was going on in Paris and, you know, where the stores were positioned, Mm. what was around it. Obviously, was really important, especially when I was opening a store first off. Again, a little bit of luck, um, Carey's Lane. There was a shop down there, a small little sign outside Mm. the door saying for rent. And the couple who were in there were already in jewellery, but they were actually moving their premises down to Middleton. Yeah, I I took. So it was that. kind of set up already. Yeah, for you was, to kind of walk in. It was bizarre. Yeah, and it, the rent was quite affordable at the yeah. time. There was a few years left in the lease, and I said I'd give it a go and see how I got on. And I was in Kerry's Lane then for fourteen years. Whoa. Um, basically, my building was being sold in Kerry's Lane, so it was my hand was forced. I had no op- I had yeah. no choice. I had to move, and um, I looked around. I didn't really want to rent again. Um. Renting is great when you're starting off, but, you know, there's no stability in it. And I was moved three times on Kerry's Lane. Now, I was very lucky that I was able to stay on Kerry's Lane each time. Three different shop I had three on different shops on Kerry's Lane. Oh. Just circumstances, different yeah. situations, things like that, where I had to move um, buildings being sold, etc. Yeah. So I knew it's kind of fickle. So I saw the building in George's Key, which was derelict at the time. It was in bad repair and it's listed. Um, and thankfully, I got that and started the restoration. So in those early days of was 2004, 2005, yeah. let's say around that time, mm-hmm. there was really no social media. How did you get the name out? How, how did you tell people? I know. So magazines, obviously, and yeah. newspapers were huge then. Um, there was a lot of free magazines. Yeah, there was. Like that, um, the What's Up. Yeah, 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Then we had the Cork News above us on Kerry's Lane. Um, So we used to do a bit with Daniel and the Examiner and things like that when we could afford it. Um, The Echo, um, RSVP. Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, there was a lot of free publications around and there was a lot of smaller newspapers back then. So that was really, that was the only way you could kind of get the word out there. Fashion shows then, you know, events. I was forever doing events between bridal fairs, fashion shows, literally anything that was on in the city we were at. And from very early on, did you kind of know that, I suppose, that whole bridal sector was going to be massive for you? Yeah, like, I mean, I knew, like, I started to import jewellery, French, uh, Parisian wedding jewellery from Paris. That's where I started. That you sell really well. Mm. But the problem was, is that you've no control over it. So you're depending on somebody else to make it. You're depending on them to ship it on time. And then you're dealing with a bride oh, yeah. who has a time frame. Yeah. So it used to create a lot of stress, to be honest. Yeah. And I thought... Oh, and were they coming in looking for it? Is yes, it right? yeah, yeah. you know, and, and then you couldn't facilitate a last minute bride. So there yeah. was obviously opportunities being missed there. So I thought I'll retrain and we'll start making this ourselves and add to it because I knew there was an appetite for hair accessories. I knew there was an appetite for Mother of the Bride, mm. flower girls, yeah. bridesmaids. You forget about all those different yeah, yeah. little bits of the, little it's not aspects. just the bride. like No, yeah. no, it isn't just the bride. Thank, and, you know, it, things are changing, how they're giving gifts and, yeah. you know, it, it, the market has changed. So, yeah, we just adapted. Every time we saw opportunities, we just moved towards it. But certainly making in-house 
has been the best thing that ever happened to us because now we can facilitate last minute brides. We can facilitate last minute everything. And it's nice to have control over it. That was crucial during the pandemic. We weren't dependent on anybody. You know, we weren't. okay. obviously, we have to buy our raw materials, our pearls Mm. and stuff. But we're lucky we're dealing with a lot of Europe for that. So I wasn't getting caught with shipping or deliveries or anything like that during lockdown, which was fab. When did the training start? So you said you retrained yourself. Yeah. Did you have to kind of go to uh, college or something? Yeah. So I had been. So when I was in Paris, Mr. Tabul, who had the jewellery shop, obviously was making jewellery. So he the whole time was training me and showing me how to make it and how he was making it. And that obviously. Like an apprentice. So kind of. Yeah, I was was like an apprentice. Yeah. Um, so when I was selling the jewellery here that every time if there was a problem with it that I wouldn't have to keep sending it back to France to be fixed Mm. um, that I could do it here myself. So I got one on one training with him the entire time I was in Paris, which was great. And then when I came home, I just took different jewellery making courses and beading, mm. wire work. Um, I suppose just kind of understanding and learning about the different metals. And again, you know, I've had a lot of luck along the way with people that I might have employed who've gone on to do other things in jewellery. And yeah. we've all kind of helped and educated each other and... So how do you source that kind of stuff then? Like, I mean, you know, I think of jewellery, I think of, you know, diamonds or I think of, you know, the bracelets, I think of necklaces. Like, where does that kind of stuff come from? That was the hardest part, actually. It's hard to get that information, you know, suppliers and raw materials is all guarded, Mm. understandably, um, because it's hard to find them and it's hard to find good ones. It was just graft, really. Mm. It was a lot of time on the Internet. A lot of mistakes mm-hmm. um, to find the right companies. But thankfully, 17 years on, I've established a nice network of companies that I deal with all around Europe and in America as well. And we've kind of got it down to a fine art now at this point. That is hard. Now, obviously, it's different now because mm-hmm. you do have the world wide web, whereas it, that the early days, of, it yeah. was just graft, you know. Did you ask the guy in France, Mr. Tabul, yes. did you ask yeah, him? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And was he okay, actually, when you said you were going to start making by yeah, yourself? Sure, the fr- yeah, because I, the, the product that I started to make wasn't in any way conflicting okay. with what he was doing. Yeah. And slowly but surely, he actually changed how he did things as well. He went more into selling raw materials instead of selling jewellery. So he started to sell the raw materials then. So he actually ended up getting out of it himself and moved in a different way. But the bridal really was kind of the big thing for us, you know, the whole time. That was always the the bread and butter and the one where we were, you know, identifying a nice little market for ourselves. And I suppose we were getting well known within that as well. So you had you had set up in 2004, but when the recession kicked in in 2008. Yeah. That must have been... It was a nightmare. Yeah, it was. Because weddings, I'd imagine, they were kind of pulled back a bit, were they? They were. Everything was. Yeah, and again, that was definitely um, a big swim. There was a kind of four or five years there where things were were tough. Mm. Um, It was hard. I suppose, I think it was in 2007, Lehman Brothers and everything else had started to happen. And I suppose people were just more cautious of spending. So there were a rough few years in there. Yeah. Because weddings in Ireland had got very big before that. They and they like it was it was mm-hmm. a big, huge event, weekend type stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And then this came in. Yeah. But thankfully we navigated our way through that. Um it wasn't always easy. Um Did you find a different market then, like gift markets? Yes. Or? Um so we moved in then to more um the retail yeah. side of it. And then we kind of ran the two side by side. So yeah. we had the retail and we had the bridal. 
and obviously history repeated itself during lockdown. So except obviously our retail was more established at that stage. So you were lucky the second time around. You had so learned lucky. probably from the, the previous time that you needed nearly two yeah. avenues. Yes. But I think every business really who's kind of been around as long as I have <laughs> um, has seen, you know, we've seen the good days and we've yeah. also seen the bad days. But the bad days, you know, really make you sit back. And the lockdown actually was really good for me because it was the first time I've actually shut down for three months because from March to June, obviously, when we were locked mm-hmm. down, everybody's business was closed, mine included. And we hadn't really adapted because nobody was doing anything online because there was no click and collect. And it was three months of thinking time that I hadn't really had before. And actually, it was probably the best thing that ever happened um, in hindsight, because I suppose when you're in the business day to day, you're always running it um, and you never really have time to think about the back end of it as such. So that time really made me sit back and think, what am I going to do here now going forward? How are we going to change this? Mm-hmm. And how are we going to make sure that this business stays open and the girls are working for the next God knows how long sure we didn't know what we were facing into? And the changes were crucial. We did a lot of stuff on the back end, Shopify. Was that the, your first entry into that area? Are we in it already? We had a website, but it wasn't really functioning mm-hmm. very well. Um I suppose we never really focused on it, Stephen. We just kind of left it there. But I suppose if the business is busy constantly, you don't think about things like that. You don't. And I I suppose it was time and it was something I really didn't have any interest in. Um, It wasn't my forte. People are definitely, you know one-on-one for me or in 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 the store people in general is is where I'm good and the internet to me was just impersonal and I felt you needed a touch and feel experience and yeah. you needed to have the experience and you know it's fine it's a marketing tool it'll be there for pictures but really outside of that you could buy in it but people really weren't yeah. And then obviously by June, when the business kind of had been closed for three months, I kind of thought, oh, we need to do something. So we built the website again and we moved from a CRM system. We moved it to Shopify because that was that's what I, you know, the advice I had been given. Yeah. And Cloda, one of the girls who works with me and myself built it in the back garden in my house. And we kept our fingers crossed and hoped for the best. And did you see different trends then? So obviously there was no weddings. Well, there was very small weddings every now and again. But like, did people buy stuff differently to the previous kind of maybe couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. Look, we were all kind of feeling it at the time. I think everybody was feeling a little bit isolated and a mm-hmm. bit low. So we honed in on the personalized messages, yeah. um, you know, give your sentiment. And we saw a lot of really lovely stuff, actually, messages coming through the website. You know, people just wanting to reach out to family and friends who they missed. Mother's Day in particular for lots of families. Yeah. They hadn't seen grandparents and things. So and that kind of kept us going as well. Um, it was it was good to be busy, but it was nice to be involved in that. You could see a huge amount of compassion and love um, going on online anyway, certainly from what we were seeing. And I suppose we just tried to to stay focused on those kind of things to keep everybody yeah. to keep everybody working. When you said you built the retail side of it, so for the gift and, and, and that industry, mm-hmm. is that trickier because you have to put a lot of stock out, make it in advance and mm-hmm. kind of hope that it sells? Yeah, so we moved into Sterling Silver. Um, it was a market that I hadn't really played around with, but Sterling Silver for people is safe. They're mm-hmm. familiar with it. Yeah. They're comfortable with it. Um 
so if they couldn't have the touch and feel experience, I suppose they were familiar with with yeah, silver as a metal. Yeah. It was safe. And um, so we moved into that. So again, because I have a lot of contacts in France, we came up with design ideas and we had it manufactured. So we make some of the sterling silver inside okay. and then others like earrings, hoggies. We had to follow trends. We had to go with what people were looking for. So we designed and we're having them manufactured then in France. Oh, so you design and someone manufactures yeah. Whereas the wedding stuff is probably made it's by all yourself. handmade. Okay, yeah. So that's the difference. Between yeah, the that's the difference. Um, so it just made sense because obviously the website is a different market mm. and actually the throughput of product is was greater at that time because that's all people had. All they could do was shop online. So it just facilitated us. It was quicker and it was easier um, to do it that way. But actually, it's worked out really well for us. Um, the two work really nicely side by side. It's giving people, a, you know, different price options. Yeah. And it's still obviously facilitating the online market very well. And is it all, all the stuff that you create, your designs, stuff for the weddings, is that only available through E or do you, do you give it to other stores as well? Uh, we do supply to other stores. So... Again, um, when things got a bit tough in 2008 and nine, I suppose I kind of looked at the wholesale side of mm-hmm. things. Um, obviously, that was what my job had been in Beamish and Crawford was selling. Yeah, and if you yeah. can sell beer, you can yeah. sell jewellery. Yeah. Well, you can sell anything you're passionate about. Yeah. Um, if you have an interest, you'll sell it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I suppose the same rule applied. I just sat into the car, made up a few samples and drove the, <laughs> the breath. To, to different jewellery stores? To different or, jewellery yeah, shops, yeah. bridal stores, anywhere that yeah, I thought there might yeah. be an opportunity. And thankfully, there was a couple of people didn't close the door and I'm still working with them. And they've been incredibly loyal um, fabulous families and local businesses to deal with. And yeah, it developed a nice little other area of the business then. Where did the name come from? Because it's kind of an unusual name as well. Like, like where, where did that come from? It is an unusual one. And people ask me this all the time. So we were on honeymoon in the Maldives. Okay. Yeah. and uh, Which was only a few weeks before you opened. Before I yeah. opened. Yeah. yeah. And I still kind of, we had been throwing different ideas yeah. around about names and stuff. And the Azure waters and that's where it came from and originally when I opened all my logos and stuff were kind of blue and white yeah and that was it that was where it and, came but from. it does sound kind of like escapism and in many ways I'd say jewelry is a bit like that for people as well yeah it totally is and I mean it's it's there's certainly escapism when you're making it because you know you're just sewing out and focusing on the peach yeah. piece but yeah look jewelry you know, is a luxury item, a luxury item, you know, obviously there's all different price points in jewellery, but yeah. it is always something that just makes you feel good. You know, we've had people come into the store who might just be having a bad day mm-hmm. and they just feel like pick me up and they might buy a 35 euro pair of earrings and they put it on and there's a bit of blue in it and there'll be a smile on their face going yeah. out the door. It's that kind of product. It's fun. It's yeah. happy. It's yeah. easy, you know. It's probably actually a great shop to work in because of that. Because I'm just thinking myself, the only time you'd actually go in is for around occasions mm-hmm. and buy stuff, whether that's people going out for a night out or an event or a wedding or sure. a birthday or a Christmas or whatever. So it's always happy, I'd imagine. It is. It is. Um, and, you know, you really get to know people, um, especially in the bridal, obviously, because you're spending an hour with them and. Mm our loyal customers would now be friends you know I'm at it a long time they're friends more than customers um, yeah it's been a lovely business to be, in, be involved in and we've met all types and all types of conversations and you know we've had sad stories mm-hmm. and happy stories mm-hmm. and 
sometimes it's easier to talk to strangers. I it wonder is, sometimes should I put a, <laughs> yeah. a little um, psychology something yeah. outside the door. We have a chair up in the bridal in the suite. The confession box or something. It is. Yeah. Um, we have a chaise long up in the bridal suite. It's like right to lie down on that. Um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been lovely. You it's, get much tension in there between. Uh, Brides and and modern laws and and all of that kind of stuff. Um, well, I suppose over the seventeen years, yeah. I mean, of course, yeah. yeah. yeah you you you. I've come across pretty much everything yeah. now at this stage. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and would you say that you have a kind of um maybe a hundred or so kind of core customers that keep coming back? Like you'd even know them by name at this stage. Oh, absolutely. Um. And look, if it wasn't for all those loyal customers, yeah. I wouldn't still be here now. And I suppose the good thing about brides, like I'm very, very focused on customer service. Mm. I always have been. And in fairness, that training came from Beamish's. We were competing in a very competitive market. So the only way you could be better was with people's skills yes. and give the time. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important. And that really resonated with me. And if you're going to spend your hard earned money in my shop, by God, you're going to get the best customer service for it. And the same with aftercare. Again, really important things happen and we can't guarantee everything 100%. The yeah. odd time, okay, a stone might fall out or a bead, but we'll replace it immediately. Um, you'll never get a battle in our store because as a small business, we're so appreciative of anybody who comes in the door yeah. and chooses to, to mm. choose Azure as part of a gift or a sentiment. Or We're very grateful for that. Um, and I think customer service is hugely important. And I think that's why we've lasted so long. Like, you know, all good cork businesses or any businesses, it's important to look after your customers. Did that help when you moved from Kerry's Lane off to George's Key? Because there must have been a worry. Will they know where I am? Is it off the beaten track? That kind of thing. Yeah, there was. People thought I was nuts. Because um, there's no retailers really over there, is there? <laughs> no. Um, when I was in Beamish's, that was a thriving key. And I dealt yeah. with all the bars there. There was a few pubs there at the great. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, full of character. Um, and it is a gorgeous key and it, it is, is full of character. Yeah. It was just going through a transitional period. But I think in time, it, it'll come back to what it was and it's slowly but surely rejuvenating yeah. itself. There's some great businesses over there. Um, yes, I was concerned. Absolutely. I'd been city centre for a very long time. Um, now, the building that I left was being sold, but it actually had, didn't sell for about three years mm. so I had a poster up in there to say we had moved to George's oh, Key and handy. thankfully nobody yeah. <laughs> took it down yeah. um, and it is only four minutes now I still have people coming in saying God it's an awful trek over from the city um, it's a perception that it's longer because you have to go over bridges yeah, it's and stuff over and, a bridge yeah. um, but it is only four minutes from the city centre and I think as time goes on you know the city is growing and yeah. it's expanding and you know, hopefully what's planned for for around us will, will happen in time. And I think that'll benefit us, you know. And you must have had confidence in the city to say when you moved that you didn't go to a shopping centre or maybe a lot of, I suppose, fashion boutiques and stuff. They go out into the country, kind of into the urban towns or like the Middletons and the Mallows and mm-hmm. the Clannacilties and stuff. Yeah, and all very nice catchment areas. But yeah, I'm a bit of a cork girl at yeah. heart. Um you know, I've been away and I've come back and I repped the city centre for a long time in Beamish and Crawford, all the pubs and nightclubs in the city. And I always just kind of love the buzz of Quark. I don't know why. Yeah, I really like working in the city and I'm lucky I don't live too far. I'm only in Balnock, so it's it's only out the road for me. You don't want the city centre to die. Because, uh, no. you know, we're, we're coming up into, I suppose, Black Friday, but 
I, I kind of want to concentrate on this initiative that Kilkenny had, this kind of Green Friday. Mm-hmm. I think it's a much better idea, is oh, it? Oh, our codes and everything for Black Friday are all Green Friday. Are they Green Friday? <laughs> yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah. Um, that concept actually came up last year as well. And yeah, yeah I, I, I think Green Friday is a good thing. I think it's really important um, that people continue to focus on supporting local. Um, it's hugely important. It's keeping our economy going. It's keeping people working in our cities. It's keeping our cities open. Um, and what's the main idea behind Green Friday? Is it is it to buy Irish products? Buy Irish, just support Irish companies, support your local small businesses. Um, it's crucial because, look, there's been so many people have struggled over yeah. the last 18 months. And in fairness, as a country, even if you go back to um, the yellow pack and stuff like that, yeah, do you remember? Yeah. I think Ireland are great when they know... The country needs it. They just tow in behind. Yeah. We really saw that last year online. It was phenomenal, the amount of support we got online. Yeah. And lots of other Irish businesses in retail and across the board said exactly the same thing. And in fairness to the big broadcasters, you know, out there, the Ryan Tuberties and all the rest of it, they all have been pushing that message for a very long time. It's definitely resonating with people. And I think there is an appetite there to support local. And it keeps the money in the area It keeps as well. the money here. It keeps people employed. You know, the big fashion outlets are all great, but a lot of that money never stays in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And yes, they're renting our buildings in the city centre um, and they're creating employment. But you can see there's a lot of those buildings are empty at the moment, you know, so it's... But every city goes through a rejuvenation. I think, you know, in the history of time, there'll always be change and there'll always be people to fill those. And there's a lot of people coming up behind with exciting ideas and new Mm. businesses coming into the city. And yeah, it is important to keep our city going. It's Cork. It's the hub of it. So the recent announcement that I think there's a a kind of like a Kildare Outlet Village movement to carry tool. There's something like that frighten you? No. No? No. Not at all? No. There's always going to be things like this spring up all over yeah, the place. And look, yeah. you know, they help with tourism or whatever. Yeah, there's that side of it You well. know, then fine. Um, but we'll always just keep the head down and do what yeah. we do. I do yeah. You know, I don't think something like that is a threat to me. Like, of course, there's plenty of other products out there that would be similar that are made in China or whatever. But you're always going to have that to deal with. Um, but I suppose if you do what you do well... Not really worry about what what anybody else is doing and just focus on what you're doing yourself. I think you're better off. Speaking of tourists, you probably had a lot of them when you were in Kerry's Lane, did you? Because they tend to go down the side mm-hmm. streets, kind of French Church Street, all those areas. Do you still get them over? I do. I two Americans in yesterday, Whoa. actually. Huh. Yeah. They're still travelling. They yeah. explore a bit. Actually, to be fair, South Parish has a lot to offer the tourists these days. We yeah. have the fantastic Nano Nagel. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. um, which Beautiful is literally building. only a hop, skip and a jump for me. And then, you know, you go up to the Elizabeth Fort, yeah. which is also amazing. Yeah. You've the gorgeous cafe inside Nano Nagel to have your lunch. And yeah. then you can feast on fantastic coffee stores all around us with Filter and Cafe Mall and Alchemy up in Barrack Street. It's a lovely walking little patch. There's a yeah. lot of history. I mean, my building dates back to 1836. Whoa. There's beautiful architecture down there. So actually, Douglas Street, George's Key, yeah. Sullivan's Key, right up into Barrack Street is actually a great little spot at the moment for the tourists. And the, the Americans, trails. do they just kind of come across you by accident or, or, or do you think that somebody has suggested it? To them or oh I think a lot of them probably just see the stories they're coming over the bridge yeah. and maybe heading up to Nanonagel or on one, one of the walking tours 
also I suppose it's a very vibrant positioning um, like I'm right on the thoroughfare coming into town you couldn't miss me at the moment anyway I'd say the planes of Cork Airport are nearly thank well, you is that the Christmas runway? lights and stuff outside have you uh, Christmas lights yes with the whole key lit up um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Christmas I've had, them, I've had them up for about two weeks um, they're fabulous so our window actually gets a lot of it gets a lot of passers-by people yeah. out walking so I suppose even if you're out walking in the evening you might see something and come back the next day or yeah. they'd be out walking around the city at night staying and you know a lot of them stay in the city in the Imperial or the Metropole or you know the Riverley wherever and they probably want to bring an Irish product home as well of course yeah they love that um, yeah. as a gift even. yeah they do they love it and we have a little card that we give with all the jewellery that you know says it's handmade in Cork and yeah they, they really like that they really like to bring stuff home from Ireland I presume you still need to kind of market yourself to the bigger audience especially with online like where do you spend most of your I suppose marketing budget now most of it is online is now it? yeah um, no more newspaper ads and no we still shit. to be fair we still do a bit with RSVP um, yeah. we find our customer resonates really well with that magazine and if yeah. there's different opportunities at different stages mm. we would still do uh, a bit there um, but yeah it's predominantly Google ads we're actually we've kind of leaned off Facebook a little bit at the okay. moment we're just not seeing the return with the new um, the iOS change, the iOS yeah, change. For, on Apple where they kind mm-hmm. of you need to give permission to be seen yeah. yeah, so that's been a little bit tricky and thank God that didn't happen last year or <laughs> I perish to think where we would have been. Yeah. So it's predominantly Google at the moment um, and then we do a bit with influencers as well. And how do you find that whole influencer thing? It was a topic that we I discussed with Maeve uh, on episode two. She found it a bit tricky. It must be good for your business, is it? Well, I suppose it's trying to identify people that, A, I always try and find somebody who actually likes the product. Yes. Um, who enjoys wearing it. Yeah. Really, you can tell when somebody isn't into the product that they're promoting. So... Yeah, it can be hard. We've 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 got it wrong, but we've got it right as well at different yeah. points. And then I suppose every day, then it's just you know you can't be doing the influencers all the time. Mm. Um, but I you kind of different times of the year where you think you might get the benefit out of it. And you probably need to look at their audience as well. I see someone like Mara Duran. Mm-hmm. You, you do a bit with, but. Very, very lucky. I had an opportunity to do jewellery for something in the Today Show about four and a half years ago, five years ago. Yeah. It was a last minute thing. They were stuck and thankfully we're over the bridge. Of course, that's another great. Yeah. yeah, It's very close to RT Studio. lovely young runner ran in the door one Mm. day and said, oh, we're stuck. And... Maura is actually a big fan. She likes the jewellery. Yeah. Um, so very lucky there. She, you know, we she wears it and she wears it on the show. And thankfully, she's happy to tag us when she does. And have you then had to look at people outside of Cork? So you're well known in Cork at this mm-hmm. point. So have you looked at influencers outside of Cork to kind of say, I mean, if we use them, we might grow an audience in other areas? Yes. Um, and... I've been lucky. I've done different weddings for different influencers okay. who've done um, posts for us. Yeah. Now, the problem was, is at the time um, when I was doing the weddings, we probably weren't as strong online as we are now. So you weren't getting the benefit. Didn't get the benefit of yeah. it. Um, and our website wasn't good enough. Um, but it, yes, Dublin is definitely... I haven't yet because it's kind of hard. You mm. have to kind of find the right one. And I suppose when you're not familiar with your audience as such, 
it's different in Cork because you kind of know what's going on and you know the, the vibe of what they're yeah. what they're talking about. So do you pay them or is it kind of like a contra deal? Like I give you free jewellery and you kind of give when me... Anything that would say sponsored on Instagram obviously is sponsored. So you pay them? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Otherwise they'd say gift. Well, no, it, it, no, most of it would be kind of contracts now at Over this it? stage. Yeah, yeah like yeah. most of them Even have... for something like a wedding, if they were doing a wedding for you? <clears throat> yeah, like, well, yeah, that it, that depends. Okay, it's a tricky area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, They that might d- want to know that they've, they've been paid that for depends. their own wedding. That depends. Yeah. Um, but I suppose, look, everything is always going to be mutually beneficial. Yes. And yeah. you have to take your opportunities when they present themselves. And when you're a small business, you don't always have big budgets. Of course. Um, so if an opportunity presents itself and you think that long term it's going to benefit the company, then absolutely you will be taking it. And I presume Instagram is, is probably the best platform for you, is it? At the moment. Now, we have a really good following on Facebook. We yeah. have about 14,000 on Facebook. Facebook is was always really good to me. Yeah. Um, I think it has a broader audience yeah. age-wise as yes. well. And and that would be as well. You're not just something for somebody up until age to get married and then, no. oh, good luck. You're for life, really. Oh, right? no, we cater to all ages. Like, I have a daughter who's 14, yeah. and I'm starting to see all the 13, 14, 15 year olds coming in Brilliant. for the little huggies. And yeah. so, no, we literally get from like seven communions, yes. confirmations, everything. We do everything for all ages. Yeah, like literally, we don't really, we're not. So Facebook is a great platform Super. for something like that. Yeah, it is very good for us. In fairness, yeah, I still I still have a lot of faith in Facebook for, you know, for our messages. And when you create the content, are you just putting up pictures? Are you talking to camera? Like, I, straight away, I can kind of see that you, you're not a lover of talking to the camera. Yeah? I'm not a big fan, personally. Okay. Um, I never was. Um, yeah, yeah. I can't listen to myself back. It's just something I have. And I think if you're not confident in what you're doing, mm. then you don't deliver your message confidently. And I think, you know, the girls are better. <laughs> so your own, your own team would do it. Yeah, they do it. Um, the odd time, if I, yeah. ha- you know, if I have to look, you could put me in a room with 600 people and I'd chat away to everybody. Mm. But for some reason, the camera, just this live thing, I don't know, it just, I, it just, just, I it just, I'm afraid of it. I don't know what it is. But the girls do it inside and, it, you know, that works fine for us. And anyway, sure, who wants to be seeing me with the jewellery on? They'd much prefer to be looking at the lovely 25 and 26 year olds. <laughs> but it's something that more business owners are, are probably getting into it. Again, it's it's whether you're comfortable or not. Mm, there, oh, look, I you know, I watch other women and men in business in Cork and, I, you know, I applaud them. I yeah. think they're doing phenomenal jobs promoting their businesses. And as I said, if you don't mind doing it, it's a great thing to do. But I just try, I'm trying to find other ways. And as I said, the girls are doing it inside and we find the static posts work really well for us because people scroll back a lot on our Instagram page. Like I'd often get PMs from something that I might have posted two months ago, mm. an image saying, do you still have these or can you make this? Yeah. Um, so I find our static posts work really well as well. And I suppose all businesses are different in how they perform online and the reaction you get online. And we just try and watch what works for us. I'd imagine it's mainly female followers you have, is it? it? There's a lot. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It's like 85%. But this time of the year, I'd imagine you get a lot of men kind of strolling in, kind I of do. looking a bit kind of 
We do. Confused. Um, yeah, and we always help them very well. Um, I've loads of fabulous loyal men who come back to me yes. year after year. Um, and thankfully we get it right, and the you know there's always loads of brownie points for them. Yeah, so yeah. yes, we do get a lot of men at this time of the year. But do you target them? No, like well, you yes, of oh. course. At Christmas we will be targeting yeah. absolutely. Like men are men are great. Um, you know, if they find a shop that they like and they get good advice yeah. and they've the chats and the crack, they literally come back every year and then we're just making a mental note of what did you get her last year? <laughs> Would you go that far? Would you kind of start thinking? Yeah, things well, like that? Yeah. I suppose look when you're seeing the same people every year, of course yeah. I know them by name, they're bringing the kids in. Yeah. Like, and you know, a lot of them started when they were getting married and he yeah. might have come the first Christmas and it's lovely to see the progression. I've seen brides come in with their daughters for communions Brilliant. and we're reconditioning their wedding headpiece for their daughter for the communion. So it's just like a family thing. It's different when it's a small business that's owner occupied. You just get to know your customers. It's just the way it is. Have you any plans to kind of open up a second one? No. And I've been asked that now a lot. Um, All throughout the years, we do open something in Dublin. Mm. What we're doing with the wholesale is working really well for us. Okay. Um, Retail is hugely time consuming and I'm also a mum myself. Yeah. Um, one store is enough. Yeah. Um, and especially now with everything that's going on with COVID and it's tricky. You're trying to yeah. keep, you know, the staff in pods. So someone gets sick, the yeah. whole store isn't closed yeah. down and you have to you'll you'd be what and I'd run a, I want I'd want to run it a hundred percent the same way I run the one in Quark and I don't think you always have control if you're not on yeah, site. Yeah. So no, the wholesale's working really well. We've positioned ourselves in some nice stores in Dublin and Lovely. Limerick and Quark. That's doing us fine. Did I see that you're also involved in, in some charity events as well outside of it? Yeah, I always kind of like to do the charity things. It's, okay. There's always a great old feel good about it. Yeah. And um, we ran a nice initiative uh, during lockdown for Piada House. Um, we asked people to tell us what they loved and missed the most on social media. Yeah. And then we posted it on the windows. So we covered the windows in George's Key with everybody's posts. And there oh, was some nice. hilarious ones. Um, Havana's came up a lot <laughs> uh, Clancy's came up a lot um, you know going to gigs but it actually gave us great crack and it was lovely just to fill the windows and then we donated a euro for every message to. and did you get people kind of coming up to the window having a, having a read all and stuff? day people who were yeah. out walking and we got loads of messages from people to say you know Jesus I haven't spoke to anyone I've been on my own doing yeah. my 2.5 clicks I stopped at your window had a great laugh keep you know it, yeah. it really created a lovely little feeling and for us too right them and putting them up but yes every year I'm involved in the Quark Santa cycle and we didn't have it last year this is our fifth year and we run it the first Sunday in December uh, a lot of logistics Connie Wiseman is the logistics man it's his event and I just yeah. help them with the fundraising the raffle and I suppose just to, trying to push it out there but it's 500 Santas cycling through the city on the 5th of December obviously dressed up as Santa yeah, on that's their bikes. A, that's definitely something to see. Yeah, um, It's a great event. It always We always get the streets lined and you know the kids people be out with their kids lining up mm. on Patrick Street and we all dress up and dress up the bikes and we all have our flashing lights on us and this year it's for Marymount so obviously everything goes to the charity yeah. so Eventbrite are selling the tickets for the event and that all goes straight to Marymount and then we run a raffle as well um, on the night and we're actually doing um, the raffle in the Marina Market um, from the 1st to the 5th and we've a stall down there from Thursday to Sunday we sell raff the raffle tickets for the event and we're also selling these flashing earrings so we're hoping oh, people lovely. will get their uh, 
offices flashing from Are you making this them year. for them? No, I'm not making them. them. Um, so there's Santas, there's snowmen and they flash um, okay. and there's little badges then for yeah, the men, for yeah. their ties. So um, Marymount is selling those on their website. I'll be selling them in store and if any offices out there or anything um, want to buy them, feel free. All funds going to Marymount. So we're hoping to raise as much as we can. We're hoping for around the 25,000 for them. Whoa. That's the plan. In fairness, the guards and city council and ambulances, yeah. everybody's there and everybody um very supportive of the event. Um so yeah, we're looking forward to it. Um and as well as that, we've been really lucky. Um a company donated five hundred antigen tests to us. Whoa. So when you're collecting your Santa suit, which we provide yeah. in the price of your ticket and your little fairy lights to wrap around your bike. Um, you'll also have an antigen test in it. So the hope is is obviously everybody'll do their antigen test before they cycle. Yeah. So just that extra layer of responsibility. Yeah, and it's not a hard cycle for anybody out there listening. It's seven kilometers, but it's around the city at a slow pace. And really not a Patrick's Hill or anything. No, 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 no yeah. Patrick's Hill, thankfully. Um, but lots of people cheering you on. Yeah. And there's just a really good feel good factor about it. It's just a fun filled, fabulous night of festivities. <laughs> so like, how do you manage that on top of I, I'd imagine this time of the year is hectic for the business as well. It is. It's a busy time of the year. And look, you know, every year when I'm in the middle of it with the, you know, because just between the general mm. organizing um, I always say, oh, my God, but I love it. I love doing it. Um, I don't. And then I'd imagine probably January. Collapse. And would the bride start coming in around the, after Christmas? Would, would there be a lot of engagements happen? Yeah, like the 27, 28, 29 actually is always a busy time for weddings. 30, 31 because yeah. people are home That's and right. they get married yeah. and New Year's Eve is a big night. Um, so we'll have a bit. Um, most of those appointments are already booked in so we okay. know what's coming out of us. Yeah. Um, January, a little bit of a lull then for the first week probably and then I it's back into wedding fair mode to all the wedding fairs. They're stuff always like in that. January and February. Always January. Yeah. So we always do Limerick, Celia Home and Lee's wedding fair. Um, she's another fan of the jewellery, thankfully. Um, but we do her wedding fair and Limerick is always very good to us. It's close, county. Yes. The brides are happy to travel. Would um, they travel down to Cork oh, from Limerick? Oh, absolutely. They would? Yeah. yeah, they would. And um, we'll always do Dublin, the RDS. Um, we did Belfast a couple of years ago. We're better positioned online now to facilitate brides. So again, really, there's, there's still huge opportunities out there for us. And what's the furthest away that you've seen a bride come from? I like I definitely do with brides overseas. I was dealing with a bride in America recently. Now she was an Irish bride living in the States. Coming back to get married. Um yes, coming back to get mm. married. Um so she was trying to finalise stuff before she got married. A lot of um I funnily I've done a lot of Dutch, um a lot of head pieces for, for Holland, funnily yeah. enough. Um, and would you ship them then? Yeah, we uh, ship yeah, them. Yeah. Um I had a lovely bride from Vancouver getting married in Vancouver and her one of her bridesmaids was really good friends with a girl from Ireland. She said, you should check this company out. Yeah. So I suppose, look, it's amazing how things happen. Um, the online world makes the world very small for retailers like yourself yeah, as well. It does. It does. So two final questions to wrap this up. Uh, I ask it, uh, everyone uh, the same questions every week. The first one, what advice would you give to another business to build a brand? Definitely, you have to be online. Um, if you're not online, no you can forget it. Um, you know, you need a decent website. Mm. You need good platforms. Slow and steady. You know, it, there's you're not no afraid of the international competition in that in that space because a lot of big kind of jewelry chains, isn't there? 
there are, but you can only compete in your own space. And you can't compete if you don't have the forum to compete. It's essential. Even if you're only focused on your domestic market, we'd get sales from the UK or America, as I said, but not a huge amount. The majority of our sales are online or all domestic or Northern Ireland. Ireland's a big place. Yeah. There's a lot of people living yeah. here. Yeah. If you can only carve out a section of it for yourself. Brilliant. So don't be afraid of it because it's international or you perceive it to be international. Focus on your own market, target your own areas, your own demographic, the audience you think will best suit your product and focus on them and find opportunities around you. Free events or for us, it was hotels used to do wedding fairs they used in charge, you know. That's right, yeah. It was kind of a, <clears throat> to kind of promote their own place. Yeah. Yeah, you have to start somewhere yeah. and be prepared for hard work. And if you put your head down and focus, you'll succeed. And for individuals, then what tip would you give an individual? So your local enterprise office is fantastic, your yeah. Leo's. So if you're starting a business and you're on your own and you need a bit of help or advice, call into them. They're brilliant. They'll there's loads of courses they do free online or for small fees. Yeah. Um educate yourself within your space. Yeah. If you have an idea, it's research, 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 research. Make sure that what you're doing and what you're investing your time in has an audience for you to sell your product or your wares, whatever it is. And again, find opportunities where you can get yourself out there at a low cost, keep your overheads down at the beginning. Yeah. And then as you start to grow, you can start to invest once you start to see it coming back. And even sell out the boot of a car. Even sell out of the boot of the car. You do what you have to do. You have to do it at the start. You do what you have to do. And, you know, I work long hours, but, you know, I worked 24-7 at the beginning. Um, You have to. And I did everything. And I still do everything in a small business. You're still kind of the jack of all trades. You have to be able to fix the printer and answer the phone. Yeah. Whatever, you know. But hard work and determination and finding something you're passionate about and if you have all of those things um, you'll succeed away fine you just got to be prepared for, for a fine hard graft well it's been fantastic to listen to the story of uh, Azor coming from just before uh, I suppose you, you set up on uh, Kerry's Lane right up until the present day and, and a growing online business and the wholesale business. Best of luck over the Christmas season. Hopefully there's loads of people, loads of men like me going in, buying gifts as well and, and hopefully there's plenty of engagement so that you'll have loads of weddings next year. Please uh, God, that's the plan. Thanks a million Audrey for coming <laughs> Cheers. in. Cheers, thanks very much for having me Stephen. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 24 Stories podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at 24 Stories Tribe. I'll be back next week with a brand new guest.